the nine. We're talking about the nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is given to us in Galatians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so the Apostle Paul gives us these nine characteristics of the life of a follower of Jesus. If, if somebody were to ask you, well, what does a Christian look like? Or, or what should a Christian look like? Or maybe you have the question of what does a Christian look like? Well, well this, is, this is a great starting point for you. These, these nine characteristics are given. These are nine characteristics that should be uh, uh, displayed in the life of a believer. And so he gives us, he lists out these nine for us, and he calls them the, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, as I said last week, fruit is something that is produced. And so there is, there is a, a, a seed, there is a seed of this fruit that is on the inside of us. And, and with the, the help of the Holy Spirit and, 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 and the steps that we take, we can help uh, uh, this, this fruit. We can do our, our part in ensuring that the fruit on the inside of us grows and produces well. And so uh, as we may look at these fruit, this characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, you may look at that list and you may begin to pinpoint some of them and say, you know what? I do well in this one, but I don't do well in that one. Maybe I do well in, in love, but I don't do well in patience. Or, man, maybe I do well in, 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 in kindness, but maybe I'm, I'm not doing well in faithfulness. Or you may just kind of pick uh, some of the ones that you're good at. But, but I would present to you this morning that all nine of these should be evident characteristics in our lives. I don't believe we get to pick and choose which ones we want to work on or which ones that we feel, yeah, I'm, I'm, a good, I'm good at this one. And you know what? Just because of my nature and because of my personality, I'm just not going to be kind. We don't get to pick and choose which of these characteristics we want to have and which ones we don't want to have. Paul is, is laying out for us. He's saying, look, the life of a believer should consist of these nine things. And the reality is, as I said, some of them we do well in and some we may not do so well in. And so there is a responsibility on our part to ensure that that fruit on the inside of us is being produced, that it is growing. And so last week I shared the first uh, characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And uh, Jesus was asked the question, uh, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Of all, And Jesus uh, communicated back to him and said uh, that you would love the Lord your God with all your being and that you would, secondly, that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. So basically, to love God and to love people, that's the greatest commandment of all. And I would present to you this morning that if that is important to God, that should be important to us. That we love him with all of our being and that we love people like we love ourselves. And so love should be a characteristic that is displayed in our lives. And so this morning, I'm moving on to the second of those characteristics, and we're going to talk about joy this morning. Joy. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We'll begin reading at verse 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Philippians chapter 3, 
Uh, we'll begin reading at verse 8, but verse 1, it's important to point out the first thing Paul says in this chapter, he says to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord. And then we go down to verse 8, and let's, let's look at this together. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word speaks to us. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible because the book of Philippians is considered the joy book. It is the joy book. I think around 15 or 16 times the Apostle Paul in this book of Philippians tells us to have joy or to rejoice in this book. And so it's called the joy book, but I think what's so interesting about the fact that it is a joy book is that in actuality, this is a prison letter written from Paul. Paul was on a missionary journey to Rome, and because of his uh, 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 diligence in preaching Jesus, and because of his faithfulness in preaching the gospel, Paul became imprisoned. He, they arrested Paul and threw him in a Roman prison cell. And so Paul, though he's in prison, doesn't want to stop reaching out to churches, doesn't want to stop encouraging churches. And so Paul begins to pen letters. He begins to write letters to these different churches in these different regions. And Philippians is one of those letters. He's writing this to the church of Philippi, and he's writing this from a Roman prison cell. And it's interesting that though Paul is imprisoned in a cell, that this is considered a joy book. Because being in a prison, there's nothing about being in prison that, 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 that tells me that there should be anything joy, to be joyful about. There's nothing about being in prison that tells me that there's anything to be excited about, that tells me that there's anything to be happy about, yet joy, yet joy is just laced all throughout the book of Philippians. A prison letter. As I read this prison letter, I'm reminded of a prison letter that I also received about six or seven years ago. It was written by a, a prisoner. I did not, did not know him personally, but he was a friend of a friend, and he, had, he wanted to reach out to a pastor, and so he wrote me this letter from prison. 
And in this letter, he uh, started off talking about his previous life. He talked about how he lived a life of crime, how he lived a life of, of, of drugs and gang affiliation and all the, the different things that he was involved in, which eventually led him to prison. And while he was in prison, someone shared Jesus with him. They shared the gospel of Jesus with him. And because of that, he, he, he received salvation. He got saved. Out of that, he got baptized, and his whole life was changed. And I'm reading this in this letter, and he begins just to list all the things that God is doing in his life. And he's, he's just, just encouraging me as he's talking about his transformed life, talking about all that God is doing in him. And I'm thinking to myself, this, I forgot for a moment that this guy was in prison. And it reminded me and really showed me in that moment that this prisoner who found faith in Jesus is really experiencing more freedom in prison than many of us out here because of his newfound faith in Jesus. And because of this newfound faith, he now has this joy that is on the inside of him. Just like Paul, you may ask the question, why would somebody in prison have so much joy? How could somebody in prison encourage me to have joy? And what that does for us is that it, it, it communicates to us that joy is something that is on the inside. Joy is something that is internal. Joy is not something that is circumstantial. Joy is not determined by the circumstances or the situations around you. And Paul makes it clear. This inmate who wrote to me made it clear that yeah, I know I'm in prison. Yeah, I know I'm barricaded by concrete walls. And I know I have a regimented life that I've got to live now. And I'm living under uh, the, the, the guards and, and the wardens. I'm, all this stuff, it's wild in here. It's crazy in here. But you know what? I still have this joy. Joy is internal. It's not circumstantial. And so Paul is communicating that to us in this letter. I was reading something some years ago, something as it relates to our brains. Uh, medical studies show and medical studies have revealed that there are certain parts of our brain, actually the majority of our brain stops growing or developing at a certain stage of our life. That's interesting, isn't it? That, 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 that our brain stops developing at a certain stage of our life. Now, some of you women in here would probably uh, argue that that stops sooner for men than it does for women. But that's another conversation for another time. We're not here to talk about that. But medical studies have shown that, 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 that our brain just stops developing when we come to a certain stage of our life. All but one part of our brain. There's one part of our brain that never stops developing. There's one part of our brain that never loses its capacity to grow. And it is referred to as the joy center of our brain. The joy center. Uh, let me give you the correct medical uh, uh, description of what this is called. It's called the right orbital prefrontal cortex. That's why I like the word joy center. It is the joy center of our brain. And this part of our brain never loses its capacity to grow. 
Meaning the ability to experience joy is, is, is always growing and is always uh, available to us throughout our entire life, even on your deathbed. Never loses its capacity to grow. This joy center uh, is, is, is one of the strongest drive centers of our brain. It, 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 it overrides all the other drive centers uh, in our brain. It overrides the food, it overrides the food drive. It overrides the, the, the sexual drive. It overrides the, the anger or the terror or the, or the fear drive. It is the strongest uh, 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 center of our brain, this joy center. And so I find it interesting that if, out of every uh, portion of our brain, every center of our brain, the one area that God chose for us to never lose capacity to grow is the ability to experience joy. And I believe I truly understand why he did that. Because the reality is, and the only thing that's really guaranteed in this life is that bad days are coming. I don't say that to discourage you, and I don't say that to even scare you, but the re- you know what it is. I mean, uh, things can be going perfectly for you, and then one day you get that phone call, or one day you have that, that encounter with, with someone you thought was a friend, or one day you get that bad news. Bad days are always coming. Bad days and trials and bad circumstances, they're always coming. If you're not in one now, you guarantee you turn a corner, you'll find one. Some of you this week may face some bad news. And so I, I find it interesting that, that, that God chose to, 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 to leave one portion of our brain to never lose capacity to grow. And it's the, the, the capacity to experience joy because God knew that we would need joy in the midst of suffering. God knew that we would need joy in the midst of bad circumstances. God knew that Paul would need joy sitting in a prison cell. And so Paul begins to encourage the church in joy. He begins to encourage us, us listening here today, in joy. But as I shared last week, this fruit of the Spirit, just like any other fruit that is grown, needs to be nurtured. It needs to be taken care of. I, I talked to you last week about uh, uh, the pear tree that we have in our backyard and how it was hard for the pear to even grow, pears to even grow on our tree because the squirrels would get up there and before they even fully grown, they would tear the pears off, take a few bites and throw them on the ground. And so my mother-in-law had to put some defensive measures on the pear tree in our backyard to keep the squirrels away. Well, there are things in our lives that are meant to attack our joy. There are circumstances, there are, there are situations that we'll face in life that ultimately are, are meant to attack our joy, that are meant to steal our joy. And we can list out a number of those things. Sometimes it's negative people. Many of you know there are people in your life that are positioned to solely try to steal your joy. Paul even addresses this in Philippians. This new church was excited about their salvation in Jesus. 
They were excited about their new faith in Jesus. They were excited about all that Jesus had, had, had done for them. And, and, and then all of a sudden, these people come around and say, you know what? What Jesus did on the cross really wasn't enough for you to receive salvation. There's actually more steps you got to take. Did you know that? And so all these wonderful people that were excited about their faith began to get discouraged. I think, what do you mean there's more we got to do? I thought it was solely faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross. But these people came along and said, nope, there's a little bit more you've got to do. I would consider those people joy killers. And in the same way, there are people that come along in your life. Things could be going great for you. Maybe you, got a, maybe you got a promotion at your job or maybe something great happened with your children or something great happened within your family, whatever it is, and these people can't even come around and celebrate with you. There have been plenty of times even in our life where great things would happen. Maybe it's great things that happen within the church or great things that happen in our lives and, and great moments of celebration and then just moments later, somebody will say or do something that tries to rob us of that joy. How many of you have ever experienced that before? Like, can I at least have 24 hours to celebrate? Can I at least have 24 hours to stay excited about this good news that I have or this great thing that I experienced? No, you got to come along and say something that just ruffles my feathers, trying to steal my joy. And so we can list out a number of things that would try to rob us and steal us of our joy. Well, Paul writes in this letter, he gives us really these tools and these resources because Paul knows that we're going to need tools and resources to help build and to help maintain our joy because just like Paul in a Roman prison, we too will experience some dark seasons. We too will experience some bad circumstances. And the question that I have for you this morning is are you going to recognize that joy is something on the inside, that joy is something that is not determined by the environment around you? Joy is something that God has given you the capacity to continue to grow in. He gave that to you. And though bad days are ahead, bad days are guaranteed to happen. I remind you of the words of Nehemiah. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'm here to remind you this morning of that truth. And Paul gives us these tools. I mean, he gives us these three things out of the verses we just read that I feel are great reminders for us and great tools for us to maintain our joy. In Philippians 3.8, Paul says this. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So if there's one thing that we can take away from that, if there's one step that we can take that would help maintain our joy, I would give you this, number one, write this down. Keep on knowing. Keep on knowing. 
Knowing what? Keep on knowing Jesus. Keep on growing in your knowledge of Jesus. And I'm not just talking about a head intellectual knowledge. I'm talking about an intimacy with Jesus. Keep on knowing him deeply. Keep on knowing him more intimately. See, a lot of people know about Jesus. A lot of people can tell you some facts about Jesus, but it doesn't mean they really know him. I'll use an illustration, and I'll kind of put myself out there. My wife makes fun of me about this all the time. So, like, in my lifetime, I've had opportunities uh, to be in the same vicinity as, as maybe some celebrities or maybe some high-profile people. I've, I've had opportunities to sit at, at maybe uh, uh, lunch tables with, with some high-profile people, maybe some famous people. We've had opportunities to have, to have uh, run-ins with certain celebrities and high-profile people. Well, well, I have this thing in the back of my mind that, man, once we like have an interaction, you're now my friend. And so when we see said person on television or when we see said person on TV, I'm like, hey, man, there's our friend. And Nancy's like, they don't even know you. They're, 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 that's not your friend. You had one encounter with this person. Stole my joy. Joy killer. Yes. Thank you, Howard. Like, let me enjoy the moment. Let me enjoy it. Just because I had a conversation with them, now I feel like, hey, like we're friends now. And so this happens all the time. Every time we see somebody, I'm like, hey, remember that time we had lunch with that person? That's our friend, right? And Nancy's like, no, that's not our friend. We don't know them like that. It's, it's the same with Jesus. I think we treat Jesus that way. I think we, we look at Jesus and we're like, man, yeah, I, I know him. I know him. I, I know about him. I can tell you some things about him. But the reality is we don't really know him. He doesn't know us. He, we don't know him personally. We don't know him intimately. We know about him and we kind of stay very surface with him. But at the end of the day, There's nothing personal about our relationship with Jesus. Why? Because we stopped growing in our intimacy and knowledge of him. And what Paul is saying, he said, man, everything, Paul was a very, very smart man. Very knowledgeable about a lot of things. Had a lot of accolades, had a lot of things to be boastful and and, and a lot of things to brag about. But he says, look, I, I count all those things as garbage. I count all those things as a loss. All those things pale in comparison to me knowing Jesus. Because the more I learn about Jesus, the more I discover about Jesus, what I've discovered even in my own life, when I know more about Jesus, the more my love for him tends to grow. I'm discovering things about Jesus all the time. Things that I thought I knew about Jesus, there there are moments where he just blows my mind about who he is. And if we're going to grow in our capacity to have joy, then, then we need to keep on knowing. 
Keep on growing in our knowledge of Jesus. Keep on growing in our personal intimacy with Jesus. Keep on knowing him. Know who he is. Know what he likes. Know what he dislikes. I believe this morning, as I said earlier, our, our, our moment of worship, the reason why I know that that is pleasing to the Father is because I'm growing in my knowledge of him. I know he loves that. There's no question that he loved what we did this morning because I know him. We can know a lot of different things, and we can fill our brains up with so much knowledge of so many different things, but let me just tell you something. All of that pales in comparison with coming to the knowledge of Christ, knowing how he feels about you, knowing how much he loves you. We sang it in song this morning. Basically, there is nothing There's nothing Jesus wouldn't do to be with you. Like for some of you, that may be a new revelation. For some of you, you've had, some of you in here have never had anybody fight over you. But hearing that this morning, that Jesus was willing to go through the extra link, was willing to tear down walls, was willing to break through anything just to be with you. For some of you, that woke up something on the inside of you. That's a new knowledge of Jesus. But keep growing in your knowledge of Jesus. No, grow in your knowledge of Jesus through his word. Read the text. Read God's love letter to us. Yes. Keep growing in your knowledge of Jesus. Through his word, through through. Through, uh, through your prayer time, through your devotion time, grow in your knowledge of Jesus by getting around other Christ followers, fellowshipping together. We grow in our knowledge of Jesus being here this morning. Keep on knowing. Keep on knowing. If we continue reading in verse 12, Paul goes on to say, he says, now, not that I've already obtained all this, meaning I haven't arrived yet. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So not only is he saying, I got to keep on knowing, but now he's also saying, I, I, I don't stop growing. I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there yet. There's still so much about Jesus I don't know. There's still so much about Jesus that I still have yet to discover. There's still so much about me that still isn't right. And so because of that, I choose to keep growing. Keep growing in my faith in Jesus. Keep growing in my relationship with him. Keep growing as a, as, a, as a man of God. Keep growing as a woman of God. As I've said previously, man, I, I want the end of 2020 for my life to be far different than the end of 2019. 
I don't want to be in the same place at the end of this year that I was last year. In fact, five years from now, I want to be in a far different place in my relationship with Jesus than I am today. But that only happens when I make the decision to don't stop growing. Keep growing as a believer. See, the problem is many of us think we've arrived. Well, I've learned about everything I possibly could about God. I've learned about everything I possibly could about Jesus. I, I, I know all this stuff. Yeah, you're, you're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, Chris, I know all that already. I've got them all memorized. I know the song. I've learned all that. I know what the fruits of the Spirit are. I know all that already. But, but my question to you is, have you stopped growing? Has these, these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, because they're not evident in your life, are, there, are there, 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 there seasons of your life where you've just said, you know what, I've about learned all I could learn. I've about done all I could do. I, there's no need for me to continue to grow anymore. That's why I don't need to come to church anymore because he's not going to say anything I haven't already heard. Or, man, I, I don't really need to read the Bible because I, I've heard all the stories before. Just, just you name it. We've all been there. And I don't care how long you've been in church. 15, 20, 30 years, it doesn't matter. Don't stop growing. Don't stop growing. will change your life. It'll change your life when you come to the place where you come to the knowledge of connection, connecting to the reason and purpose God even created you in the first place. See, there are a lot of us that are unhappy in life and not experiencing joy in life because we don't know the purposes God has for us. We're not walking in the purpose that God designed for us. We're not walking in the plans that God has laid out for us. So because of that, we're, we're striving and we're trying to strain to get to things and do things and, and we're not happy, we're not finding fulfillment, we're not finding satisfaction. Because you stop growing in your knowledge of Jesus. You stop growing in your relationship with him. James 1, 2 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that this testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Don't stop growing. Get rid of the idea that you've arrived. Get rid of the idea that, yeah, I've already known, I know everything I could possibly know about God and I'm good. Don't stop growing. And then Paul goes on to say, if you go down to verse 20, Paul goes on to say this thing. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ and so not only do we get to a point where we got to keep on knowing and growing in our knowledge of jesus we got to keep on knowing not only do we got to come to a place where we say well i don't stop growing but now we got to come to a place where we know where we're going 
Yeah, I know that rhymes and I know that sounds corny and all, but I don't care. I want you to get it. Know where you're going. Paul recognized the fact that, hey, man, I'm sitting in a cold prison cell right now. I don't really know what my future on this earth is. I don't know. Hopefully, I, in the name of Jesus, I'll be released and be able to do what I do and continue preaching or whatever. Or maybe I'll die in this prison cell. I don't really know. But here's one thing I do know. This is not my home. This is not where I'll remain. This is not where I'll stay because I am a citizen of heaven. I am a citizen of heaven and I eagerly await. Man, I know there's a day coming where everything will be made right. That alone, that thought alone is enough to maintain some joy on the inside of you. That what I'm seeing now, what I'm going through now, what I'm experiencing now, it's only temporary. Yeah, it stings. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it's hard walking through this, but Lord, I know this is only temporary. I know ultimately in the end, man, my, my citizenship is not even here. This is not even my home anymore. You know, it's hard for you to be defeated in this life when you know that earth is not your home. It's hard to be defeated. On a personal note, that's why I don't get so worked up politically. I don't get worked up politically about anything anymore. I don't. I say that because there are many of us within the church, not just here, everywhere, that get worked up politically. Things aren't going the way we want them to. Things are going a different direction. All these different things. We're like, oh God, come Lord Jesus. It's hard to get worked up on that stuff when you recognize, hey man, this ain't even my home anyway. And I know the church gets worked up politically because social media exposes everything. It does, it just does. Social media exposes a lot. And I see posts sometimes and I see people getting worked up politically about who's in office, who's not in office, who's doing this, whatever. And look, don't get me wrong. I praise God whenever there's policies that are passed that honor him. I, I praise God for those things. But whether my man or woman is in office or not, this earth is not my home. And so why do I need to get worked up over something that is only temporary anyway? Why do I need to get worked up over the trials of my own life that are happening right now? Man, people are treating me crazy. People are talking to me crazy. Man, what's going on? Man, it seems like everything is just falling apart. It seems like everything is just going dark. It seems like this season is the worst season of my life. Financially, I can't seem to get ahead, man. My job, my boss is treating me bad. My, all these different things seem to be going on all around you. Let me remind you, this earth is not your home. 
We are citizens of heaven. And we eagerly await the coming of our Lord Jesus. Once you embrace that truth, once you embrace that reality, you can't help but be joyful. Let's stand to our feet. Now, I talked about last Sunday this reality that this fruit of the Spirit is embedded on the inside of us. And I shared last week that what that means is, is that we now know what it means to be full of the Spirit. And that to be full of something, the fullness of something is measured in its overflow. Meaning, if you're full of love, if you're full of joy, if you're full of peace, well, the question is, does that overflow from you? Because the overflow doesn't just impact what's in your life. It impacts the lives of those around you. And so one of the reasons why I love the book of Philippians so much is because obviously this whole dynamic of writing from a prison cell and Paul is sharing with us joy and he's encouraging us in joy. Paul in a Roman prison obviously is doing something right. He's obviously doing something that is not only impacting his own life, but is impacting the lives of those around him. And it's evident in the book of Philippians because Paul closes out the book of Philippians, this letter, with this final greeting. He's writing to this church and he says, verse 22 of chapter 4, he says, all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Remember, Caesar is the emperor. And he says, especially those who are of his household, meaning somehow, some way, Paul had some encounter with Caesar's household. Somehow, some way, those that didn't even believe what he believed recognized something in Paul. They were observing him. They were watching him. They were probably recognizing the fact that, man, there's something different about this prisoner. Most of the prisoners that come in here, they're bitter, they're upset. But not Paul. And so we don't know for certain what all they encounter. We don't know for certain all that they experience with Paul. But the fact that even the household of Caesar is saying, hey, man, if you're greeting the church in Philippi, tell them we said hi too. We send our greetings and love to them too. And my question to you this morning is that, does the joy that's on the inside of you, does that joy overflow and is it evident in your life? See, when you're going through some things and some of you may be going through some stuff right now, do you still have joy? 
Do you still have joy in the knowledge of Jesus? Do you still have joy in the fact there's still so much about Jesus I want to grow in? I know he's doing something in me. Do you still have joy in the fact that heaven is not your home and that you know where you're going? Because I promise you, People love watching other people's adversity. People love spectating. It's like drive-by accidents, right? Like you drive, see an accident on the road, you can't help but just look at it, onlooker traffic. And if you're going through some things today, I promise you there are those who are onlookers. And they're watching your life and they're seeing how you respond to tragedy. They're seeing how you respond to, to issues and circumstances. They're watching you. And my question is when they see you, do they see the joy of the Lord? Do they see his joy on the inside of you?